So here's the question. How can e-commerce leaders make sure that they are producing a great product, providing a world-class customer experience, responsibly managing their finances, and still reserve time, energy, and resources for marketing their products? My name is James Sowers, and you're listening to the E-Commerce Insights Show, the podcast that gives you specific, actionable advice for growing your e-commerce business. Every Monday, you'll get a conversion rate optimization tactic that you can implement quickly to make your business 1% better every single week. Every Thursday, we sit down with industry experts to go deep on a specific aspect of running a successful e-commerce business. It's the perfect blend of learning and application, which means that you maximize the value of every single minute you spend with us. We're just as committed to growing your business as you are. So if you're looking for a partner to help you crush your revenue goals, you've come to the right place. Roll up your sleeves and grab a notepad because it's time to get to work. Dave, welcome to the e-commerce insight show. Super excited to have you on board today to talk all things email marketing. That's something that in a previous life, I was an email marketing consultant. So near and dear to my heart, especially automated sequences, lifecycle emails, trigger based stuff. So really interested to nerd out with that, uh, with you about that a little bit. But um, before we get into that, maybe give us a couple sentences about who you are and what you're working on these days and what kind of clients and customers you serve. Yeah, sure, sure. So my name's Dave Rodenbaugh. I am the founder of recapture.io. So we do email marketing for e-commerce and we support a variety of platforms, uh, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, Easy Digital Downloads, some other smaller ones. We've been around since 2015. I acquired the business in 2016. And kind of our sweet spot is in-house marketing teams who really crave a simple tool that's easy to use, quick to get stuff done, because a lot of in-house teams, they're really busy with a lot of other promotional stuff. And so they want to have something that just makes their job easier, right? Pre-created content, uh, easy to use editor, that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe they don't have a budget for agencies or to, you know, deal with a more expensive tool. So that's kind of the brands and stores that we end up working with a lot. At Recapture here, we serve, you know, a wide variety of verticals here, fashion, supplements, nutrition, clothing, outdoor equipment, all different kinds. I wouldn't say that there's any one that uh, we do more than the others, so. Yeah, that makes sense. And I imagine supporting a platform like Easy Digital Downloads, you get into some of those info product spaces too, where it might be something like courses or educational materials, something like that as well. So truly the full breadth of what we would call e-commerce, not just physical goods, which is kind of where we play as an agency, but you're covering the whole spectrum, it sounds like. Yep. There's a lot of folks on Easy Digital Downloads that are like selling their own WordPress plugins or themes or, you know, whatever digital things. There's uh, memberships. We have some membership sites as well under Restrict Content Pro and Paid Memberships Pro. So they do more course stuff around that. So, yeah, kind of the whole gamut, really. So you've been working on this for a while now. I think you acquired the tool back in around 2016. You said it's been in existence since 2015. So you've had it inside of your umbrella or your sphere for a while now. What is something that you're like working on now that kind of has you excited, right? Like what do you, when you fire up your laptop in the morning, I'm guessing you're probably not itching to answer some customer support tickets. It's probably something else, bigger picture that you're looking forward to. So what is that for you today? What's your motivator? Well, you know, this might sound a little weird. I actually do enjoy answering customer support tickets. Maybe it's just me in particular, but as a founder, I really like connecting with customers. So like 
One of our missions here at Recapture, one of the things that we say is like, you know, part of our mission statement is that we want to make merchants more successful. So when I log in every morning, you know, I want to find out what merchants are doing and what they're struggling with. And I want to make it better for them because if it's better for them, it's probably better for a lot of other people on the platform. So, you know, that part always kind of jazzes me up a little bit. I don't like dealing with grumpy customers. Nobody ever does. But, you know, I don't really get a lot of those on Recapture, which is kind of cool. But in terms of like, things that we're working on right now, you know, we, we have a set of core values here. And one of those core values is simplicity. And this is why we work with that specific set of in-house teams that are looking for simple tools, as opposed to something that's a more complex workflow based, you can trigger anything, you can make anything happen, but then you also have to spend a ton of time learning it. Right? So we recently tried to figure out because we had a request from one customer that has a huge number of stores with us. They were like, we want to do AB testing. And I, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, geez, A-B testing, man, this is really hard. <laughs> this is going to be a mess. And he's like, this is really important to us. Can you figure out a way to do it? And I was like, yes, we'll figure out something. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're going to figure it out. So I sat down with our, our development team, tech lead developer QA, and we kind of hammered something out and figured out, you know, how we could come up with something that met his needs without being overly complicated or hard to use or something like that. So we're just getting to a point where we're just about ready to release that. So, uh, you know, that's kind of exciting to put it in his hands, see how he uses that on his, uh, you know, several dozen stores and then release it to the larger customer base because I know this is something that some other customers have been asking for too. So, you know, finding that that balance of how can I take this complicated feature and make it so simple to use that anybody can really engage with it. That's something that kind of excites me. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's really smart because, I mean, we use HubSpot as kind of our marketing hub here. And I, when I heard that when I came on, I was like, oh, gosh, HubSpot can do anything you want, but it can do anything you want. Right. And, and sometimes figuring out exactly what you want it to do and what you need it to do out of this massive you know, database of features and, and toolkits and things like that is hard. So I think there is beauty and simplicity in a lot of ways. So I think it's really smart. And when you talk about A-B testing, of course, as a CRO firm, like that's music to my ears. That's what we like to do on the optimization side of things. But what I've noticed, and maybe some unsolicited product ideation here, is that a lot of folks don't teach you how to do A-B testing the right way. They just build the tool and they let you A-B test, but then you have people trying to do a subject line and body copy at the same time or subject line and a button CTA at the same time. And it's like, well, those two things can nullify each other in terms of the validity of the outcome. So the simplicity maybe is like, if you want to A-B test subject lines, that's all you can tweak in these two emails. We don't even let you tweak the body copy or we don't even let you tweak the CTA. We force you to just test one thing because that's how you're going to get the most reliable result. Uh, I don't know if you've gone down that path, but that's what I was thinking when I heard simple A-B testing is like, not necessarily hold their hand, but almost like, you know, just kind of put put guardrails up so nobody can get too far off the off the trail there. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly how we set this thing up. So I come from, uh, I have a physics degree. And so like it was beat into my head for every single physics lab that we ever did, like test one thing at a time. If you test two things at a time, you will never know which one is the one that you could tie your result back to because now you have to separate those tests. And you can like do things like you could say, test four things at a time and then test them two and two. And that way you can say, well, which group is the one that was more impactful but you still have to get it down to like, what was the one thing that really did this? Cause that's what, you know, physics is all about. So I kind of carried that into this here. And we basically said, look, you can test subject line. You can test the body. You can test the CTA. That's it. 
pick one, test it, and then run that test. And then we also had to like do the other part of it with the hard part of the A-B testing, which is get it to statistical significance, right? Because some people will be like, oh, I want to test this for four hours. It's like, what if you only get two customers coming through? Like, that's not, no, you, you failed your P-test there. So like you have to guide them in different ways as well to make sure that they run a, a good valid test. And at the same time that you collect the results in a way that is fair for the whole test and make it easy to use on top of all that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a brain burner if you are deep into the whole notion of A-B testing. A lot of other platforms give you enough rope to hang yourself and your closest friends all at the same time. For sure. Well, before we whip out the statistics textbook and get real nerdy on it, I want to go back to like the bigger picture side of things because you've been with Recapture for a while. It's becoming increasingly uncommon, I think, to have somebody find something to work on and stick with it for a few years even these days. It's a lot of like, let me build something, sell it, flip it, get acquired, whatever. So I'm curious, if we go back to 2016-ish when you acquired the company, what was it about Recapture specifically or e-commerce email marketing in general? I don't even know if it was e-commerce focused at the time. I'm trying to go back in my own memory banks. I don't even know if Klaviyo was around or Privy or some of these other players in the e-commerce email marketing space. It seems like Recapture could have been an early entrant there. So what was it about either the tool or e-commerce email marketing in general that appealed to you so much? You're like, I think I'm going to buy this product and I'm going to make this you know, a big uh, significant investment of time and energy over the next few years. So it's funny that you mentioned the whole flipping and, you know, quick turnaround and stuff like that. So in 2015, I had already been buying and selling various smaller products since about 2010, 2011. So I'd been kind of doing that for five years. I was searching for, I guess what you could call not really a forever product, but, uh, you know, let's get together for a long-term product. And, you know, I tried a lot of smaller stuff. I even tried to like build my own SaaS at the time in the customer support space, failed miserably, spent $50,000 on it, blew up in my face, didn't do market research. I mean, just lots of bad things. But so having learned a ton of lessons, I was kind of looking for something that was a long-term fit for me because I wanted something I could grow. I was kind of looking for a way out of freelancing. And I also wanted something that, in terms of demonstrable ROI so that I could show a customer, look, you use my tool and you pay me this much. I will hand you back this much more money. Like I wanted a huge ROI in things because I had worked on another couple of WordPress plugins and the ROI was a lot fuzzier. You know, people had to want this particular product. It was for business directory or classifieds. And then, you know, they used it, but there wasn't a long-term relationship you had with them there. Sometimes their directory was successful. A lot of times it wasn't because they didn't really know what they wanted to put in there and it was more about the content. So for me, it was like, I wanted to find something that could clearly demonstrate month over month, year over year, we are providing tons of value to you. So that immediately attracted me, of course, to the e-commerce space because there's tons of stuff like that. And that also sort of brought me to the concept of you want to be kind of close to the money. So, you know, I saw other friends of mine who did SaaS businesses where they were doing like accepting payments or they're handling churn or they're doing uh, SaaS metrics for Stripe, stuff like that. So all of those folks were close enough to the payments and the the how the customer was handling their money on a day-to-day basis that they could clearly see value that was coming out of that tool. And so they wanted to pay for it every month. And I'm like, 
I kind of want something like that because those tools have the longevity. Those two tools tend to have lower churn and they tend to be, you know, easier to sell to customers because I can just walk up and show like, Hey, look, here's your analytics. This is how much money I made for you. This is how much it costs. Look, there's a huge discrepancy between those. And you are clearly getting 10, 20, 30 times the value that you are paying me. I like that because it makes the customer feel good about using our service. It makes me feel good about making their business better. And that's, you know, one of our goals here at Recapture is to make people's stores more profitable, better, make their business better. Yeah, especially with the smaller or I like to call them emerging brands, right? Like smaller, medium sized brands, founders still pretty involved or they have a small team and it's people wearing multiple hats. It's really refreshing to be able to directly see the impact of a test because you don't have a whole lot of extra money to throw around on a failed experiment in the marketing realm, right? So to have something like email where you can draw, maybe it's not a solid line, but it's certainly not a dotted line, right? It's something in between. Uh, It's bigger dashes, right? It's a dash line where it's like, I'm pretty sure that this email funnel is driving more revenue for our store. And even if attribution's not 100% perfect, let's call it 70% accurate. Like I know that this tool is paying for itself. That's not always the case uh, with some of the other tech stacks. So I think it's really smart to kind of attach yourself, as you said, close to the money. That's why we think about CRO. It's like, even if our we run this test in this very controlled environment with a specific set of uh, subcomponent of your traffic, then let's annualize that and say, if we apply this 100% of traffic, we're going to earn you $100,000 this year. Even if we're off by 50%, that's still a great outcome for you compared to what you're paying us. And so they stick around longer because we're driving results and we can point directly to that. Those are the kind of businesses that I think have the most longevity and long-term viability that you can just keep demonstrating your value over and over again. And the customers love that, you know, and a lot of times if they go to a different platform, they can compare what, what they got on that platform with your platform, especially on email marketing. And sometimes we get customers that come back. They're like, yeah, I tried this other one. I didn't like how it worked. I didn't like the ROI I got. I got a lower conversion rate. I got this, I got that. You can't do that if you don't have clear demonstrable value there. So yeah, that's definitely something I love about this business. So what kind of changes have you seen in the last few years? I mean, I know I don't expect you to cover chapter by chapter because these things are changing every quarter at least, right? So, but in general, you know, philosophically at the highest level over the last few years, maybe it's a mentality around email marketing. Maybe it's a level of sophistication among founders or customers that are coming through your door. Maybe it's a competitive landscape, but like how have, have things changed since the day that you bought Recapture to where we sit here today in terms of you know, like market dynamics and the way that you're thinking about email marketing or the way that founders are thinking about email marketing? Now that you've asked that question, it's kind of funny. There's really kind of a split. There's like a ton of stuff that's changed and there's a ton of stuff that kind of hasn't. And that's very odd to happen at the same time and almost at the same rate because, you know, I look at when I'm kind of mentally thinking about all of the stores that are on recapture, there's definitely a split. Like there's definitely a set of merchants who are now more sophisticated about email marketing than they were six years ago. Like today I can go and talk to somebody and say, abandoned cart recovery. And I don't have to explain that, you know, six years ago, it was not as ubiquitous. Definitely eight years ago, 10 years ago, you really had to convince somebody why they wanted to do abandoned cart recovery. So that shift has been very positive because now I can come in and say, look, we do abandoned cart recovery. We do winbacks. We do post-purchase emails. And a lot of merchants get that. But at the same time, we've had so many merchants that are now coming on board with this, especially during COVID, that are new and they don't have that familiarity or 
I think there's another set of merchants where they're kind of afraid of email marketing. Like they view email marketing as basically a spam fire hose and they're only willing to like turn it up just a little bit because they're afraid they're going to annoy their customers. And I don't think they truly realize that, you know, there's a huge difference between making sure that your customers are informed and engaged and, you know, trying to create a relationship with them and build your brand and be helpful, provide value for them versus, Hey, here's another discount code. Hey, here's another promotion. Hey, here's our sale this week. Like, I think they just equate the two of those and say, it's the same. It doesn't matter. So there are definitely those kind of merchants too. But yeah, I mean, the level of sophistication that we've seen over the last six years has definitely increased. And I really, I really appreciate that because it's fun to sit down with a merchant and they say, all right, Dave, I want to do this and this and this, and we want to segment by this and we want to turn these things on, but we don't want these other things on. And how can you solve this other problem over here? And I'm like, cool. I don't have to go over a lot of basic stuff with you. Let's just dive right into everything that you've got versus having to educate a merchant from scratch. So that I think has been one of the the positive things. Yeah, it is interesting. I even see that, you know, just hanging out on Twitter is the the best brands or the digitally native brands, especially like they're way up the ladder, I guess, in terms of sophistication. And they're talking, they have dynamic quiz funnels that gather information, first party data about a consumer. And then they use that for segmentation and they send tailored campaigns around that person's needs or they make a product recommendation, stuff like that. They're talking about welcome sequences and they're talking about anniversary pitches that are date triggered by the time that they made their first purchase and stuff like that. And I'm like, I love to see that. That's great. I didn't see any of that a few years ago. But at the same time, we have folks come through our door and I'll run a test purchase when I'm auditing their checkout flow. And I'm like, I barely get a shipping confirmation email or something like that. Or it's like just the standard Shopify template that has the most basic things. I'm like, this email has a near 100% open rate. Like do something a little bit more with this, please. So there is still so much opportunity there. And you know, it's disappointing, but at the same time, it's kind of encouraging because it's like, if you're doing this well and you're on our radar with so many fundamental email marketing strategies unaddressed, then for someone like you or an email marketing consultant, it's like, well, yeah, let's just come in here and pour gas on the fire because you're not you're not doing the basic blocking and tackling, let alone the more advanced stuff. So we can get you buttoned up and there's huge ROI right out of the gate, basically. There's so many things that merchants have to struggle with. You know, when they set up their brand new store, they're trying to figure out all the logistical stuff there about inventory management and shipping and, and all of those things. But at the same time, they're probably trying to figure out, do I have product market fit? Do my customers really want what I have to sell? Is it working for them? Is, is it ideal product for what their, their pains or their needs are? And then add to that the email marketing, you know, which is again, like you said, gas on the fire. So, you know, some of the merchants that are more successful that come to your agency or that you end up using recapture, I see them as the ones that have the product market fit and they're, you know, kind of like, all right, well, I know I should be doing abandoned carts, so I guess I'll just use your tool, sure. But they don't understand like don't just send one email. Hello, you got to do the money's in the follow-up here and it isn't annoying to them to send three of those. And then it isn't a problem to delay that coupon code to the very end. Like don't hammer them with the discount codes. Don't devalue your brand so much upfront, you know, just subtle things like that. So in some ways it's fun. And I feel like I get to hand, I get to hand somebody a tool that is building their own house and suddenly they didn't realize, oh my God, a screwdriver, I can use that to put screws in instead of this hammer over here. Wait, 
I had no idea screwdrivers existed. This is amazing. It's like, yes, absolutely. Please. Now you can build a better house over there. You know, when I see that aha moment with the merchants and then they look and, you know, they're getting that boost of revenue, that feels really great. And I'm sure it feels equally great when you're working with a brand and you you hand them that first report and you've done all the CRO work and it's like, hey, look, you had a 25% boost over here from this test. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> we can do that? That's possible? Right. Yeah. Especially when you start with customer research on the front end, which I'm sure is the same way in email marketing. People don't just jump in and start writing emails based off of their gut. I'm sure there's customer research and there's analysis of the data and how folks are using your site and what products are buying and stuff like that. And then you're aggregating that and looking at trends. And then you interview the founder and you get their language and you pepper all that together and you start writing emails that way. I think that's where you get the best results is when you start with um, customer insights first and then layer in some data, layer in some brand elements, put that all together and you have something that kind of resonates with your your ideal customer profile, basically. So we think about kind of historically, maybe a few years ago, it was a lot of promotions, right? It was a lot of like, you're on this hamster wheel, I think, of email marketing where it's like, what are we promoting this week? Is it a new product launch? Is it a collection, a fall collection? Is it a special offer? Is it a partnership with some other brand? Is it the founder story, whatever? It's just like, what's our email this week? And sometimes it's like, what's our email today? We're sending out a daily sales email because that's the only thing we know about email marketing. But now we're in this more sophisticated uh, stage where it's like, you've got these activity-based things, you've got lifecycle emails, you've got post-purchase flows. A lot of this stuff runs automatically or it's triggered by some kind of action taken by the consumer. So now that we have kind of these two different worlds, I'm imagining the right answer is, you know, it depends, right, for the brand and, and what your goals are and what your audience is like. But truly, it's like you probably can't let go of either one entirely. So what do you think is the right mix of promotions versus I'll just call them like automated campaigns or workflows? I don't know what terminology you like to use with recapture. We can stick to that. But what's the right balance of like manual one off email blasts, as people call them a lot, versus more automated, trigger-based, activity-based stuff that kind of happens in the background automatically. Recapture's bread and butter always started out as abandoned cart automations. And then we added on a bunch of other stuff afterwards. You know, we got winbacks and post-purchase emails, including, you know, welcome emails and review reminders and educational content and stuff like that. And then one of the last things that we added last year was actually the, the promotional emails, the broadcast stuff, along with SMS. And, you know, so obviously my answer to this question is going to be biased in regards to if you don't have those automations set up already, that's pretty much a priority because I won't say that email is an ATM because I know that, that some people think of it that way, but there's also money on the table that you're leaving just by doing the things that you should do to follow up with your customers. Customers appreciate it when you are coming back to them and making sure that things are okay. And I don't care whether it's a customer support interaction, it's an abandoned cart recovery email, it's a post-purchase educational flow. All of these things show if you are writing them correctly, if you're using the voice of the customer, if you're using you know, some of your brand nostalgia, mojo, whatever you want to call it, and making sure that you know you're providing some value to the customer there these things work they're very effective and so you know one thing that I, I find that I fight a lot is that merchants have, you know, less sophisticated merchants, I should say, have an aversion to using too much email. They think that like one abandoned cart campaign is enough. And I'm like, mm, no, I've got data that says the opposite. So like, let's go with a data-driven approach here and maybe expand that a little bit. So when you don't have automations in place, 
you can go and do the broadcasts, but it reduces your overall efficiency so much that it's kind of effective, but it could be better, right? So it's the automations that make your store more efficient at bringing people in, at keeping them there, at collecting the user-generated content, social proof, stuff like that making sure that they're successful with the product, making sure that you get their needs and their questions answered by sending them FAQs immediately after you purchase or sending them shipping notifications so they're not asking, you know, Wismo, where's my order? Because that kind of stuff just wastes your customer support time. If you can be proactive about that stuff, customers are happier. Happy customers come back and make more purchases. So getting those automations in place is so important and I really don't care what actual platform you're using, those automations make a huge difference. So if you don't have the automations in place, broadcast all you want and send those promotional emails, but honestly, you're still leaving even that much more money on the table. So for me, it's automations first, promotions second, and then the promotions kind of depend on where you're at in terms of your store's annual revenue and level of sophistication. Like you should not put every single automation in place if you're making less than $100,000 a year. It doesn't make sense. It's not worth your time for all of those things here. So that's where I'm thinking on these. You use the phrase uh, email like an ATM. Like I've heard people say that a lot and I've even heard people literally say, when I need more money, I send more email, right? And to me, that's a little, that's a little cringy. But I will say that like, purely by the numbers. Yeah. If you send more emails, you probably will make more revenue. Just that's just math. Like you're just sending more emails and more people are reading it and things like that. But is that treating your customer with the respect that you want? I don't know so much, but I will say uh, my gut feeling is people don't necessarily dislike receiving a lot of email. We already, for most of us, receive a lot of email from all the different areas of life that we're operating in. People hate receiving poor emails, poor emails that don't resonate with what they need and what they care about. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing to send a lot of those broadcasts, but it is a bad thing to do it without segmenting who's receiving them. And if you're sending me stuff about women's wear, maybe I want to buy something for my wife, but I probably don't, that's probably not my default. I'm probably shopping for myself or whatever. Or if you send me a supplement ad for something that is uh, runs against like a dietary restriction I have, well, that's not relevant to me at all. So the more of those emails I get, the more I will start to ding your brand reputation in a negative manner. But I think when it's done tastefully, sure, you can send all the email you want as long as you're respecting the customer at the end of the day. Right. Again, it's about providing value. Like your example of women's wear. If you're not segmenting your broadcast list to make sure that you're sending the right promotions to the people who care about it, you wasted your time and you're going to have a lower open rate. You're going to have a lower conversion and click rate. And you're going to annoy your customers. You're probably going to have a higher unsubscribe rate. And eventually, you know, they're just going to start ignoring you in the inbox. And that's obviously not what you want to get to. So it's fine to send those emails. Just keep them relevant. Keep them valuable. And that's why you want to be very careful about what it is that that you're sending. That's why I like the automations. Because... They're always triggered on some previous action, you know, with abandoned carts. It's they went to your site, they did something, they put it in the cart and they walked away. That's a reason to reach out and talk to them. Or if they complete an order, that's a reason to ask for a review. Or if they, you know, completed their order, that's a reason to send them a shipping notification. But communicate with your customer at points that they care about as much as the ones that you care about. Right. Yeah. And I would say maybe the compare and contrast between the broadcast and the automations is broadcasts tend to not be segmented and they're bad because they're not relevant, but automations 
can go awry when they're over-segmented and you get the segmentation wrong. I've seen that happen. And But it really, what it comes back to is relevance, right? If this isn't relevant to me, then I start to think it's a bad thing. But as long as it's relevant to me, as long as I bought a coffee subscription and you're offering me a grinder or something like that that is relevant, like maybe I don't want the grinder and that's okay. I'm just not gonna buy the upsell to the grinder, but I'm not gonna be like, why are you sending me this? You know, like I get why you sent me this because it goes with what I just bought. It's when those two things go in different pathways and don't make sense cognitively that you start to get like, you start to trip and fall all over yourself basically with the, with the automations. Right. Complexity, I think plays a lot into this here. I've seen brands go both ways, right? Where they just oversimplify it and they don't send enough email, but then there's the other side where they overcomplicate it. And like I had one brand that had 38 abandoned cart email campaigns, and I'm pretty sure they were not a seven figure brand. And I'm like, mm, yeah, that might be overkill guys. Like, yeah, you want to dial that back a little bit here. Like, why do you really need 38 separate campaigns? And they were segmented all over the place. It wasn't just like they had a heavy follow-up there. I still think they had five follow-ups, but they segmented the hell out of it. And I'm like, there is a point of diminishing returns on that. And you can be targeted, but at some point you can get too targeted, I think. And then it's really confusing to debug on top of that. So, yeah. Well, and there's a lot of technical debt. It's not really technical debt, but there's some kind of maintenance debt with that where you have to constantly go back and make sure that like, do we even still sell this product? Do we even still serve this segment of the market? Let's erase this entire branch of the campaign because we don't serve them anymore, whatever. If you don't do that, then then things start to look bad. I was thinking about, you mentioned one of your core values is simplicity, right? One of our core values here at The Good is 1% uh, better every day, continuous improvement. And so I'm curious in the spirit of helping our listeners to get 1% better today, when we talk about these automations, maybe this ties into your ladder of emails context, uh, but like, what are the fundamentals, the, the basic blocking and tackling, the obvious wins, low hanging fruit, whatever you want to call it, all these different um, euphemisms, but like, where should somebody start? Let's say that they're just using templated abandoned cart stuff, which is, you know, one email that gives a discount code or something like that or says, hey, don't forget you left this in your cart. Like, I know, I know I left it in my cart. Thanks for that. But yeah, where do you recommend brands start if they want to take advantage, not just of features that recapture has, but conceptually these automated, these trigger based emails uh, that I kind of consider like a foundational revenue stream so that you can afford to experiment with some of those broadcast things. Sure. Sure. So looking at all the different brands that have been on recapture over the years, and we've got, you know, almost 7,000 customers on the platform. What I've noticed is that the successful ones tend to up-level their sophistication, not all at once, but depending on like how much they're selling and what they're trying to sell. The generalizations that I sort of figured out when I was going through this, I'm going to pull up some notes I've got here, but if you're doing like, and these are all annual figures. So if you're doing like under a hundred thousand a year as a brand, and that's gross revenue, I would say that you pretty much want to keep your email marketing simple, but complete. And so here's what I mean by that. So I think that, you know, you should absolutely positively have abandoned cart and abandoned checkout all the time. Like that's just a, a given, no matter what level you're at, that's free money on the table. Those customers are the most likely ones to convert, you know, here on recapture, we tend to get about an average of a, you know, between eight and 12%, depending on the vertical boost on the revenue. So if you're not doing that, like that's really where you want to do. And you should send like three of those, in my opinion, based on our data. If you send just one, 
Okay, that's better than zero. But if you send up to three, we've found that you recover at least 100% more than the folks that send just one. It typically goes much higher than that, but that's usually the way that we try to, to bill it. So aside from those, what else should you have if you're sub 100,000? You definitely want a welcome series for non-buyers to help give them an idea of what your brand does, why you're there, you know, founder note, et cetera, some educational content, easy to put in there for a series, right? And some kind of a basic post-purchase sequence. Hey, thanks for buying from us. We really appreciate it. Maybe ask for a review if you want. And then on top of all that, you want to do some kind of regular promotion campaign. I would say that depending on the vertical that you're in, it could be anywhere from weekly to monthly. And, you know, maybe it's just a seasonal thing that you're doing. But if you're on more of a consumable pattern, then, you know, weekly stuff would probably work a little bit better. And that's sort of like the very basic level uh, of a store. So you got to be running like those five things, four or five things. If you're between 100,000 and half a million, you want to do everything I just said. Plus, you want to add things like browse abandonment. You probably want to start adding winbacks because now you have enough customers that you want to go and especially if you're in the consumable space to say, hey, come back and, you know, reload your subscription or buy this other thing again. Or, hey, we've got these new products to promote. Use the winbacks to do that. That drives up your uh, AOV. It drives up your LTV. And the, the customers who've already bought from you are like five to six times more likely to buy it than a brand new customer. So that's just easy, low hanging fruit there. Then you probably want to add some other stuff like upgrade post-purchase orders. So like, you know, cross-sell, upsell, some order notification flows in there. Because now if you're doing more than 100000 a year, there's definitely a lot of stuff going on. There's more logistics in your back end. So you want to make sure that your orders are packed and shipped and delivered and notify what the customer, where the customer's at in that whole thing. Because it's probably now not something that you're doing on a daily basis where you can ship it out and the customer gets it in a few days. Maybe it takes a little bit longer now. Keep the customer involved with those notifications. And then I would say, you know, you want to up your promotional campaigns. Maybe if you were going monthly, now go weekly. If you're going weekly, maybe do more than once a week. I don't know. Kind of depends. And then if you're going like half a million to a million, you want to do everything that I just talked, but now you want to get really into your segmentation. And, you know, this is kind of a controversial thing. I know people like to segment earlier than this, but I also find that people kind of suck at segmentation. The problem with segmentation is that you have to understand who you're sending and why you're sending that to them. And I feel like it takes a long time for brands to really get that information. And it's not until you're somewhere in that half a million to a million range that that level of sophistication becomes obvious enough that you can do segmentation and make it super valuable at the same time. So that's when I recommend that you really push that harder. So you just take everything that you've already done and start segmenting it better so that you're getting the right things to the right people for the right events. And then, you know, maybe you want to up your promotional campaigns. Once you get above a million a year, then you want to go for a heavier cross-sell, upsell, and then, you know, maybe you're upping those promotional campaigns on top of all that. But again, it's, it's about the segmentation. It's about the value you provide. And it doesn't just have to be, hey, we have a sale. Hey, we have a sale. Hey, we have a sale. Hey, we have another sale. You know, it's like, don't do that. Like you got to be more creative with your promotion. So, you know, things like 
send out referrals? You know, do you want to tell your friends about us? Or, you know, maybe there's some seasonal stuff that's relevant to your brand, or maybe it's free product with purchase or last chance to buy a product because you're discontinuing it. Or here's a bestsellers email. Here's a birthday email. Like there's so many different things that you can promote without actually saying, Hey, here's a sale and a discount code. Cause that's robotic. That's boring. People get really bored with that stuff. So, I mean, that's what I, this is what I mean by the ladder of emails. And, you know, honestly, if we call this the standard e-commerce playbook, I still see that tons of brands do not follow the standard e-commerce playbook. And that's why, you know, agencies like yours and services like mine can come in and say, look, you do this, you're going to make so much more money. And it's so easy to demonstrate that value. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a criticism of any of the decision makers. I mean, what they're being asked to do, especially at smaller brands is, is everything. I mean, finance, uh, accounting, logistics, supply chain, product development, market research, customer support, marketing, all this stuff is usually just a handful of people, sometimes more heavily weighted on the founder, especially in the early days. So to not have email marketing buttoned up tight is not a criticism at all. But when you're ready for it, it is an area of opportunity that might have a higher confidence interval than some of the other things you might experiment with on the marketing side, at least in my opinion. It's like I would probably, in those early days, it's all about demand generation or demand capture. You're trying to get people to your site, expose to your product, expose to your brand, understand the story. But pretty quickly after that, you want to retain more of that that attention, right? And email marketing and some of those triggered campaigns can be a great way to do that. So it's not really a criticism, but it's like at some point as you grow and as you mature and as you have more resources, this is one of the smarter investments you can make, I think. Yeah. And to the criticism point, like the other observation that I've made a lot in speaking with people on the support side, which is one of the great things about a founder is I kind of get to see like store owners, you know, the in-house marketers and and different roles that that use our tool. The person who is usually tasked with email marketing isn't just tasked with email marketing. Like they're also doing the demand generation. They're also doing the social media. They're also doing the customer surveys and the research. Like this is one tiny sliver of their job. And so they're already overtasked on all the other things, especially if they're early on and that demand generation takes up a huge amount of their time. The email marketing, they know it's something that they have to get done. One of the things that I've always uh, said is that email marketing always ends up on store owners' top five list, but it never hits number one because there's always something that is, is going above that, whether it's logistics or customer support or product development or, you know, inventory management, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They know email marketing is important, but it's never the thing that bubbles to the top of that list. And so anything you can do to make it easier, to help them get it done, to walk them through best practices, to show them how to do the testing or to do it for them, like you guys do it the good. All of these things are huge wins for merchants. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, what I love about the latter concept that you shared in those breakpoints with the revenue is that to me, it aligned pretty well with three kind of KPIs. And like I said, that first stage, that very early stage, you're just trying to get eyeballs on, on your thing, on your website, on your product, on your brand. So that's kind of the priority. And then it, it sounds like as you move into that middle stage, it's more about increasing what I would say is like AOV. Like how do you get folks to buy more from you? How do you increase conversion rate? How do you convert more people into customers? And then a little bit of that cross-sell, upsell, bundling, whatever that kind of thing. But then as you get into that last rung of the ladder, that sophistication is really about lifetime value. And it's how do you get somebody to buy from you again, make a second purchase? How do you get them to tell a friend? How do you get them to buy for somebody else? Like how do you turn them into a brand advocate? So I love that like, 
it's tied to the revenue, but in terms of the email marketing activities, it seems like a level of sophistication where it's like, okay, drive traffic to site, convert traffic to customer and increase AOV, and then increase lifetime value and turn one customer into two, three, four customers from that single touch point. It also speaks to the fact that if you're trying to make email marketing work, trying to do it all at once is basically the way to make it not work (laughs) because there's some complexity to each of these things and you can keep them simple, but you have to like, you can't build a complex system by starting from a bunch of complex, smaller systems. You've got to start from small, simple working things. And so you got to get one campaign dialed in and then move on to the next one. And once you've done that, then you move on to the next one. And then, you know, by the time you've got seven of those campaigns working, now you have a complex email marketing system that is now working for you. But you would never just start out from scratch and write all seven of those campaigns. That's a recipe for disaster. You'll never manage that well. Right. The same way that you wouldn't start developing a product and you wouldn't place an order with a manufacturer after talking to 10 customers, maybe a hundred, right? Ideally closer to a thousand. And you need, you need a bigger pool of data to have uh, confidence in whatever decision you're making, whatever product you're creating. You wouldn't just dive in head first into email marketing and invest, invest a bunch of time out of the gate when you could do one or two of those things, go back to supply chain, go back to customer support, go back to accounting, and then you know get better over time. I think that's kind of the spirit of what, what you're sharing here. Interesting. I love that uh, I love that methodology, I guess, with the ladder concept, like the one, two, three. I think, and I've seen so many brands that are in the level three in terms of revenue, but not doing some of the level one kind of automations. Like I have bought from a very established brand and from the point, the day that I bought to about a week later when I received the product, the only thing I got was the order confirmation and the shipping confirmation. That's it. I got nothing else about how to use the product, you know, the benefits of the product, no testimonials, no FAQs, nothing like that. And then even after I received it, never got asked to leave a review, never got asked to, you know, come back and buy again, nothing. And it's just like, again, to my point earlier, I see that as opportunity because if you've gotten this far and if you're a six, seven figure brand that is still not doing those things, then imagine, you know, the revenue opportunity that they're leaving on the table by not having some of these. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Money left on the table. I just keep saying that again and again about email marketing, depending on your level of sophistication, there's always some money that you're leaving on the table there. You just have to know what it is, how to fix it and when to do it really. Have you seen any like creative uses of email marketing? We've got, and maybe it's one of these examples that we shared and maybe it's just a case study around somebody who's done well with segmentation or something like that. But we know that once you get through kind of that blocking and tackling phase, once you get into the higher levels of sophistication, I've seen people do some pretty impressive things in tandem with email and SMS or email and quizzes. So you work with these folks day in and day out and listen to their strategies. Are there more sophisticated customers that you've had the opportunity to like learn from and, and the ways that they're applying email in their brand? Yes. So the two examples that come to mind. So the first one is from a brand that works with recapture and they do aquarium supplies. And what's interesting about how they do this, they actually do this through segmentation. So they have a variety of things that they sell, including basically fish drugs. So, you know, your fish gets sick. They sell you the things to make your fish not sick, right? Well, they segmented on this one antibiotic. So When this antibiotic goes into a cart, the guy was telling me, well, 
the only reason they have that in the cart is because their fish has XY disease disease and I forget what it was, but it's basically like a very serious thing. Like they need to get this treated within a week or the fish is in big trouble. So he knows that as soon as he sees that product in an abandoned cart, he can hammer them with abandoned cart emails. So he does this at an incredibly high frequency. I think he sends out like five or six emails and it's at like two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours, one day. So five emails in a 24 hour period. It had an amazing recovery rate, 36% boost, 36% of the customers in there converted. Usually we're talking about what, five to seven on the clicks rates and then, you know, one to two in the conversion rates, 36% conversion rate, insanely high. But that's because he understood his audience, he understood the pain, and he understood the timing. And he was able to totally nail that with that sequence. I'm not saying, you know, if you just heard, oh, if I send five emails to my customers in 24-hour period, I will have a 36% conversion rate. You were not listening. <laughs> that's not right. It doesn't work for everything. He knew it because of a specific thing with his customers, and it was very successful. So like segmentation, extremely powerful, but that is knowing your audience and knowing their pains, not just like dumb demographic data. Oh, this is uh, women from 25 to 34 that drive Volvos in Maryland. No, this was deep understanding of his, of his product, his audience, and the pain that they were suffering right then. I love that example because I think that people might gloss over that and say, well, that's just that's just an aquarium supply company. Like, I can't replicate that. I sell parkas or whatever. And it's like, but you can because people are already doing this in the ad world. Like, if I land on your site and I look at a certain parka, I'm going to get retargeting ads for that exact parka if you're doing your job right. And so it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, hey, I know that you're looking for this and I know you have a specific use case. So let me show you an ad to try to get you to come back to the site. This is a similar concept. Like, I know if you're shopping for this product, you have a very specific problem or a very specific challenge or a very specific question, goal you're trying to achieve. Let me tastefully continue the conversation about that because... There's a reason you're shopping for this, right? And I know that reason and I have something that I can help you with. So I think like a lot of brands out there, at least the ones that I talk to, they're like, well, you know, ads are getting more expensive and we want to do some more kind of owned marketing and stuff like that. And we, but we're just not sure where to jump in on content. Like that's where to jump in on content, you know, write the article about that disease and the definitive guide to treating that disease. And by the way, we sell this medication. And then when somebody abandons cart, drop that article in there, drop the whole body right in the email and say, hey, I saw you were looking at this. You probably have some questions. We did our own research. Here's the study. Here's exactly how to treat it. You don't have to use our product, but we sure hope you do that kind of thing. I don't know. I just think a lot of brands are like, I want to get into content marketing or I want to like make FAQs matter, but I don't know how to do that. I think that's a great example of it. And it's something that we can basically lift and shift from the ad world. Yeah, absolutely. So going with your parka example, I was just, when you were saying that, I was like churning away in my head and like what I would do for that. So obviously there's like, I would see that there's two main times of the year that you would probably be selling parkas and it depends on whether you're Northern hemisphere or Southern hemisphere. So you want to segment your buyers to understand, are they coming from South America and Australia? And are they in colder climates like, you know, Chile or Argentina or New Zealand where they're trying to buy these things in, you know, May or April or something like that, right before the winter hits. So, you know, you could have a parka buying guide and make sure that you're promoting that to those customers during those periods and do the opposite with Northern hemisphere and, 
in like October, November, right before the holidays, right? You have to understand when it is your customers are buying that thing and then make sure you put it out there at that time to provide that value for them. So again, it's understanding your audience at a fundamental level. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sorry, I cut you off. You had a second example there too, I think you were going to share. Yeah. So this one is, uh, it's kind of funny because I would say the reason this has gotten more effective is because we're just being blitzkrieged by tons and tons of sophisticated, highly designed email. And that is the unreasonable effectiveness of plain text emails. So I see that plain text emails work extremely well when you have like personal note from the founder. And I use this with my own SaaS. So that's how I know that this works extremely well. So we actually dial down, you dial down the rhetoric. You don't put graphics in there. It's just, hey, human talking to other human, you know, here's some, you know, personal story or here's, you know, thanks for using our, our brand or whatever it is. But, you know, you just, you talk at a very basic human level and these emails really have an impact. You know, it doesn't have to be the thing that you were spending hours in Figma and coming up with the ultimate fancy graphic designs with the perfectly styled brand colors in your your HTML. Like none of that, that matters sometimes, but sometimes just send them an email that has some nice words in it that isn't overly fancy, that is talking to them as another human being. And those emails I found to be unreasonably effective. So that's the other tactic that I would say, you know, that people need to be doing more of that, just being more human in emails in general, but using the plain text email kind of sets you aside in a very crowded, brightly colored, fancy, inundated inbox, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure to have these highly designed emails, especially with physical goods, because you're like, I want to put a product photo in there. And if I'm going to put a product photo in there, I need to wrap it in some pretty frame and stuff like that and like interactive elements. And I get it. We're talking about tangible things that people are going to hold or wear or consume or something like that. But to your point, like there are certain touch points that you want it to feel like a one-on-one conversation. Founder letter is a great one. Even the abandoned cart email, like What if it had James at whatever your website is here? It's just like, hey, James from the customer support team. I saw you're checking out this product. I just wanted to let you know that it's a great one. Uh, This has 500 plus five-star reviews. And, you know, it's one of my favorites. Here's a picture of me wearing it, whatever. Like, I'm not saying manufacture those things. Don't make it up. But if it's genuinely like you have team members that love that product, drop a photo of them in there in a plain text email and just say, here's me wearing mine. I love it. And be genuine about it. And I think that can be the personal connection you need. Or some of those post-purchase emails where it's like, hey, this is James personally and or the founder and like your stuff's on the way. I'm so excited to have uh, your business and I really appreciate you giving us a try. I made this because of XYZ. Here's my story. I think you're going to love it too. If you have any questions at all, reply to this email and somebody on my team or I'm going to get back to you. And that can really make the difference between you and unnamed brand XYZ competitor just because you took the time to form a personal connection instead of constantly trying to extract money from them, right? You're trying to relate with them on a personal level. Right. When you're working with corporate brands, you will never see this. You'll never see, uh, you know, an email from the founder of Home Depot (laughs) or Crate and Barrel or any of those large corporate entities. So this does set you aside, especially if, you know, you're a DTC brand or you're just getting started or you want to, you know, stand out in the inbox. All of those suggestions that you just said are exactly the kinds of things that I think are unreasonably effective because they look different. Totally agree. 
All right, Dave, I want to respect your time. So I have one more question for you, and then we'll let you get out of here with whatever message you want to share uh, with the audience. But you have this unique position where you're sitting on kind of the software and tooling side of the world. There's also the brands, then there are the agencies or the consultants or the advisors. I feel like a lot of times there are these silos in between those units, and it's like the brand likes to blame the tool because attribution is off or deliverability is off or performance isn't where they want it to be. The tool likes to say, well, you're not using us properly. You didn't follow the training. You don't have your settings tweaked just right. So an effort to kind Kind of deconflict all of those uh, notions. What is maybe one thing that you wish brands or merchants knew about what it's like to try to build tooling for e-commerce? And maybe it's something that's particularly hard that a lot of people don't understand. Or maybe it's something that like, if you just looked at it this way, you wouldn't have as much friction with the tools that you're using. That is a very difficult question. And you know, I 100% sympathize with the merchant perspective because you are trying to pull in multiple apps, multiple things to fill holes in whatever platform you're on. I don't care whether you're on Shopify or BigCommerce or WooCommerce or Magento. It's the same problem all around. You're trying to make sure all of these pieces are put together in your store. You want all of those pieces to work well together. And oftentimes they don't. And that's super frustrating. You want them to share all kinds of information and oftentimes they can't. So I get that as a merchant, you're trying to cobble together something that works for your store and your needs and we don't always provide that. So the hardest thing I think from my side as a vendor here is that I want to make sure that the initial experience is as frictionless and as intuitive and easy for the merchant as possible. But the problem is I don't always make our product meet where the merchant is at. So sometimes there's super sophisticated merchants and they totally get it right out of the bat. There's like brand new merchants that have never used this before. And it's very hard to meet both of them at the same time with the same information, especially when you're coming at me and all I know is here's your store name. And, you know, over some time, I might know some other stuff like, do you have a high sales volume or do you have no sales volume or do you have a low sales volume? Like that doesn't come out right away. It doesn't come out fast enough for me to start tailoring information because I know you just need to get it set up and get going. And there's like, there's a short window that people take to evaluate stuff. And sometimes, you know, I see, it's funny, I will, people will install recapture and then six minutes later, they'll be like, app is not performing well. I'm like, you could not have sent a single email in six minutes. You can't even abandon a cart in six minutes. So I know you didn't really test this. You just got frustrated because something wasn't easy for you to use. And so what I would say is from the vendor perspective, you need to make sure you're reducing friction at every point. You need to make your onboarding seamless. You need to make that documentation obvious. You need to have things like videos that train anybody at any level. But at the same time, as a merchant, I think that, you know, if you run into something, it is hugely valuable to tell the vendor, hey, I couldn't do X. Maybe not all vendors are going to say something and respond to you because customer support's not the same for every single vendor out there. But if you tell me that, I'll be like, really? Oh, I had no idea. Well, let me take a look at that. And if there's a problem, I will fix it immediately. Like that is a huge priority of ours to make sure our platform is reliable. That's another one of our values. So if you can just communicate with the vendor and say, this didn't work for me, that's why I can't use your thing anymore. That's hugely valuable to me and I can make the tool better for others or you if you want to come back. 
So I would say that those are the things that we really want to balance here, mostly about communication. And I think that f- the vendors can get better at communicating in customer support too. I saw some cringy customer support interactions this morning on Twitter that somebody was like, oh, I'm so glad I sold my Shopify app. And I was looking at their customer support and I'm like... Yeah, if I saw somebody talking to me like that, I'd probably be a little mad too, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. I mean, the thing to remember is building software is incredibly hard. Building an e-commerce brand is incredibly hard. Nobody gets into it to try to swindle folks out of money. Uh, For the most part, folks have good intentions, and if things don't go well, they're emotionally invested in fixing it and helping make it right. So to your point, the communication is is the best part. And I would say not just the bad stuff, like communicate the good stuff because software creators don't hear nearly as much praise as they probably should for the things that they put together that, that because when something works well and it just works, you almost don't notice it. I would say be gracious with your, with your praise too, not just the criticism because uh, we're all trying our best out here. Right. So Dave, thanks so much for your time today. I'll let you uh, get back to the rest of your day. But before uh, we hang up here, where would you like to point folks for more information? I know you're at recapture.io. So maybe I'll do that part for you because I just to prove I did my research, but uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug or any message you'd like to leave folks with? Sure. So if you're interested in connecting with me on Twitter, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes, I presume, but I am at Dave Rodenbaugh and I spend most of my time on there kind of, you know, checking out other brands. And I'm always interested, especially if you're a brand out there, you know, what you're doing with email marketing or what you're struggling with or what you're selling, like that's always something that I'm curious about. So connect with me on Twitter. I'd love to have conversations with you there. If you're interested in checking out Recapture, again, you know, we do email marketing for brands that do in-house stuff that want to keep it simple, can't afford an agency, don't want to deal with an agency, just want it easy to do and get it done quickly. We have amazing customer support and we really do care over here. So check us out at recapture.io. Come install us and give us a try. Yeah. Give Dave a shout, folks. He's he's good people. He's good people. Thanks so much for your time today, Dave, and dropping some insight. We could do a whole other episode on that ladder concept because I was about to go deep on segmentation and what does an abandoned cart sequence look like as a best practice? What does a post-purchase flow look like? Uh, there's a whole workshop in there and you've probably already created it and you got it sitting on your Google Drive somewhere. So we might have to do a follow-up at some point. But really appreciate the time you did give us today and uh, we'll hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much for having me on today, James. This was a lot of fun. Hey everybody, this is James again. And before you go, I just wanted to invite you to join one of the coolest things I get to work on as Director of Marketing here at The Good. It's called the E-Commerce Insiders List, and it's a private version of this podcast feed that gets you access to tons of additional bonus content like extra interviews, Q&A sessions, website teardowns, and anything else we can dream up. It doesn't cost you anything but your email address, and we promise to always respect your inbox. This is just our way of forming stronger relationships with our listeners and making sure that we produce content that is actually valuable to you and to your business. If you're interested, you can join the rest of the e-commerce insiders by going to thegood.com slash podcast and dropping your email into the form at the top of the page. We'll follow up with directions for how to access the private feed and you'll be off and running. Like I said, this is one of my favorite things that I get the opportunity to work on because it lets me interact directly with e-commerce founders and leaders just like you. If you're interested, I'd love to see your name pop up in my notifications. Until then, keep an eye out for the next episode of the e-commerce insight show and we'll talk to you soon.